Vaughn Beals uh, asked me in for kind of an exit interview. And uh, I had talked to him and I said, you know, I just love sport bikes and I can't do this anymore. I got to go do, I, I just, my heart isn't in this and I just don't believe in cruisers. So Vaughn called me and he goes, well, what do you think about cruisers now? And I went, yeah, you were right, but I still love race bikes. Episode 96, Tank Slapping Podcast. Got a good one on deck, another good guest, and a, a decent co-host, Robbie Bobby. What's up, dude? Uh, mediocre co-host, epic guest. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm super excited. Uh, I always say that, like I'm super excited, but I'm always just excited to talk racing and bikes in general. But uh, when you have somebody on with this kind of pedigree, with this kind of uh, pull in the industry and just all the things he's done um, – it, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be a King Kenny home run, but I think it's going to be pretty close. If not, it might surpass it. Who knows, man? I know he's got a lot of fans out there. So, uh, why don't you tell them who we got coming on, bro? Yeah, it's basically my childhood in a nutshell. It's Eric Buell. Uh, I was just telling you before we started recording that Buell has been a huge part of my life since, since I've been essentially born since I was a young kid. Uh, you know, my dad's dealership, Lancaster Harley Davidson, we were one of the first dealerships to sell Buell motorcycles and i you know i grew up in the in the dealership riding buells you know in the parking lot taking them racing my first ever framer was a buell blast my my pops and my grandpa they won the super tracker series the ama with brian bigelow on a buell super tracker my pops was i think in the inaugural buell lightning challenge race in daytona you know it's crazy i have four or five buells sitting in my garage right now so we're getting eric buell on and golly this guy is full of knowledge incredible engineer ama hall of fame there's a lot to talk about motorcyclist of the year i think the year was 19 no i'm off here 2011 motorcyclist of the year uh motorcyclist magazine just full of knowledge man it's going to be good I'm excited, man. And and I, from a personal standpoint, I'm just excited for all the, the racing type questions. I mean, we're, we're a podcast that covers just about everything, but uh, the dude, his, like you said, engineer, but ultimately just, he's a dreamer um, in a good way. You know, John Lennon, I'm not the only one, but uh, I'm really, really excited to see. I got some good questions, man. A uh, big shout out to the, uh, the Weira Forum. Um, they gave me some really, really good ones, some knowledge I didn't even know about, which obviously is not a, a big stretch for me not to know everything, but I do try to know a lot. But uh, I, I can't wait to uh, see what he says about some of these. There's there's some uh, there's some good ones here, and uh, man, I'm just excited to learn from him too, man, even if it's just on the telephone. I'm, I'm definitely excited to learn. Yeah, doing my research last night on these Buell motorcycles, like I said, I grew up in in a Buell dealership nonetheless, but just going back and looking, looking at some of these motorcycles, it's gotten, I was on cycle trader last night, seeing what I could find. I wouldn't mind having a Buell street bike in my garage. I got a lot of race bikes, but a Buell street bike would be, would be cool. But anyway, before we bring him on, I want to make sure we shout out our sponsors and make this show happen. Mission foods, always excited to have them on board and announce their name prior to every show. It's, it's really humbling for them to be involved in, not only our sport, but this podcast. So shout out to Mission Foods. If you can, go to your local store, buy some product, and support those that support the sport. Bell, Pow Bell Power Sports, the official helmet of Tank Slapping Podcast. If you start Tank Slapping, you want to be protected by Bell. 
Yamaha Motorsports and Yamaha Racing. Check out their website at yamahamotorsports.com. Motorcycle, ATV, side-by-side, snowmobile, and power products. Yamaha revs your heart. Indian Motorcycle. Since 1901, Indian Motorcycle has been the choice of riders who make their own rules. We talk a lot about the Indian Motorcycle name and the brand, and I love everything they're doing with racing, and their lineup of motorcycles is incredible. The Bobber, the Scout 60, Challenger, Roadmaster, the Chief just big supporters of racing and we're really thankful for them coming on board Dude, and supporting our podcast. Hold up. Interruption time. What if Indian and Eric came together and built a new American superbike sport bike? That'd be, that'd be awesome. I mean, I mean, dude, yeah, dude, FTR, yeah. an F, a real FTR 750 street bike. Oh my gosh. Is Indian listening right now? Yeah, they listen. <laughs> they listen. Gary Gray listens for sure. Uh, Moto America VIR this weekend. I'm excited. I'm going to be a part of the festivities down there. I'm in race control. So I hope you get cussed out. Yeah, I probably will, (laughs) but it's so cool. It's all good. It wouldn't be the first time, but excited (laughs) to learn in the paddock and be a part of the VIR Moto America this weekend. If you can't be there, make sure you subscribe to that live plus package 109.99 for the season or 12.99 per event. Dunlop motorcycle tires, the official tire of tank slapping podcast and American flat track. 19-inch and 17-inch flat track tires, off-road, street, everything you need for your motorcycle, DunlopMotorcycleTires.com. Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, Jerry Stinchfield keeps us going, keeps the sport going. Nearly 40 years of experience in the commercial roofing industry. And Manscaped, we are stoked to have Manscaped on board with our pod. Do us a solid. Get some product. TankSlap20 is the code. Manscaped.com, TankSlap20, 20% off and free shipping worldwide. Shout them out, Rob. It's an incredible product oh, and stoked to have them on board. Like I said last time, man, if, uh, if there's one dude that could really use it, it was me, man. And I'm uh, I'm stoked, excited. Like I said, we talked about my favorite product last week. But, uh, man, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool little care package, man. They, they've really got it going on. They've come a long way. I remember high school shaving. And of course, I'm only not even 40 yet, so I'm sure other guys are going to be like, what are you, just a young buck? But, man, it's crazy how far just uh, – grooming products have come in the 10 years that uh or 15 20 years whatever it's been but man yeah it's badass product man i'm uh i'm on the fence about like why did i never check this stuff out before i'm sure i'm not the only person that said that after using it but at the same time uh better late than never tank slap 20 use the code well our our guest is on the line no further ado eric buell man how are you hey i'm doing okay how are you doing Good. Good to have you on. Corey Texter here. And then the other side of the, the mic, my co-host is uh, Rob McClendon. He's, uh, he's been around the road race paddock for a long time, flat track. But we're, we're excited to have you on the show and, and talk to you a little bit. Yeah, it's really cool to get on. It's been a long time since, I, since I've seen you, man. I've been, uh, been out of the motorcycle business kind of here for a while. So, uh, but I uh, miss you guys and... Uh, Missed your family. I don't know. Remember the uh, Tex and Betty and Randy and you and Shane when you were little? Good, good times. Anyhow. No, I was just telling Rob. And I'm glad we're not on video because I could be a little manscaping, man. I'm looking haggard this morning. (laughs) Put in the code. Put the code in. Get yourself some. (laughs) No, I was just telling Robbie that uh, I grew up pretty much with the Buell name. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I've the order of dealerships that sold Buell motorcycles, but I know our shop and my dad, we were, we were one of the first and we have a couple Pegasus award, 
you know, in the, in the showroom for selling the most Buell motorcycles for a couple of years, top 10. And yeah, it's been a, it's been a cool journey. So, um, it's been, uh, like I said, my whole childhood, let's talk about it a little bit. Obviously we, we could spend five hours on a podcast here, but let's, let's kind of get into the transition from, you know, you're from Pittsburgh, you worked for Harley initially, you were, um, from what I looked up, you were on the design for the F- FXR series of cruisers. Engineering um, is obviously your your specialty. Yeah, obviously, it's crazy to even think about all the great motorcycles you've designed. But let's talk about your um, kind of your your background a little bit leading up to Harley, like your work with Harley Davidson. Yeah, it's interesting. I was, uh, you know, I did go to work for Harley in '79 and stayed there for and just under four years, um, and then left to start uh, Buell. And, uh, but, uh, but leading up to there, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was from Pittsburgh, and uh, I, I went off and, you know, after I got out of high school, I went off and played music for a while, and then uh, was working, since that didn't make much money, I was working in bike shops, you know, as a mechanic, flat rate mechanic and stuff for years. And then started to go back to school for engineering because being a mechanic, you know, you start working on stuff and you go, God, this isn't very well built. Like most mechanics say, <laughs> who designed this stupid thing? So I went back to school going, you know, maybe I ought to learn some of this stuff and got my engineering degree. And I went to work for Harley and candidly, I had no use for Harleys. Um, uh, I only did a short stint in a Harley dealership as a flight rate mechanic and was kind of horrified by how horrible the bikes were. And you got to remember, this is in AMF kind of days. So the, the, the Harleys at that time, right before I graduated, were pretty shaky uh, uh, products for sure. Um, but uh, I, the reason I went to work there is I wanted to be a design engineer. And it was the only motorcycle company in the United States. And so, uh, you know, I went there, but, you know, my, what I love was sport bikes and I raced, um, you know, worked my way up through the AMA ranks, uh, novice, uh, and then, uh, expert. So then I rode, uh, TZ 750 and Ducati 900 in formula one and then Superbike, respectively. And it was pretty good, but typical privateer working out of the back of van with no money. Uh, and, and then when I went to work a Harley, uh, I didn't have any vacation and uh, anything like that. So I had to kind of drop out of racing. Uh, and I, that, even though I came back and dabbled in a little bit myself as a rider, um, I, I was pretty much done. I, I couldn't do everything, couldn't build bikes and ride them and everything else. But I did love racing uh, and got to race, you know, with a lot of great riders like Kenny Roberts and Freddie Spencer and Mike Baldwin and that a group of probably most of your listeners don't know, but back in the in the late seventies, those guys were really, really good. Yeah, you'd you'd be surprised of our how vast our our listeners are. I, I was a little bit surprised too because I kind of had assumed. Oh, by the way, Robbie Bobby here, uh, Rob, however you will, but uh, super super huge fan. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be surprised if I were you. There's a lot of guys that uh, are younger generation that still appreciate everything you did with the Buell name and, and uh, you know, the, the innovative and unique. And sometimes let's be honest, you know, that not, not the, Oh, how do I say this? Without, I don't want to be offensive or rude, but we'll just say like the single disc, like in world Superbike that finally got converted to dual disc, but 
Um, well, there's a long story behind that. that I'm I bet here, I want to hear it. Wants to know because, uh, and you know, the really and and there'll be people who can fight about it forever. But truly, um, for example, Larry Pegram, who was riding them, we were experimenting with Brembo dual discs and the single disc and and at the, uh, you know, at the track in the last year of World Superbike, and Larry uh, was quicker on a single disc. Because he knew it, because he had ridden a season in AMA. And a single disc setup, the real advantage it had uh, was a tremendous drop in weight in the front wheel. So when everyone else fought front wheel chatter, we never had it. Never. Well, I remember, I remember okay, watching so those guys. You had to ride the bike differently. Yep. So you couldn't go into the last minute and stand on the brakes and try to stop to a slow speed. What you had to use was the advantage of the fact that you could have incredibly high corner speed and not lose the front end. Um, so our corner speeds were higher. So literally it's very different. And only the guys who rode it for a while and learned it like Jeff May and, and, and Larry really knew what it was about. And, and we were getting there with, uh, um, the Italian rivalry held on God. Canepa, Canepa, Nicola, yeah, yeah. Canepa. Um, but, you know, he had grown up on Brooms. He had grown up with that style. And he didn't know the bike yet, even though he knew the tracks. Um, well, shit, he put a lap record at Jennings his first time there, too, which is no slouch. Were yeah. you there for that? Yeah. I mean, he was, you know, he was a, he, he was a good rider. But candidly, when we pulled out a World Superbike because the business went down and he went to a factory Kawasaki ride, he didn't do as well as he did on the EBR. So it's a lot of bullshit, excuse me. And there's a lot of uh, misinformation you don't have to bite your out there about, yeah. <laughs> about where we were and where our bikes were. Our, and, but we were getting there. And that was our, only our second year. And we would have been definitely finishing in the top 10. But to give you an idea, the bikes breaks. When, if you ever watch the race down in Homestead, where, uh, um, uh, God, Eslick, yeah, Danny and uh, and Jeff finished. I don't know. And where did they finish? Second and fourth, I think. I believe, yeah, there was definitely a podium for sure. Second and fourth, and that was Danny was on the podium. But if you watch that race. He was running against the Suzuki rider. God, kid here from Wisconsin. Whose name I'm forgetting. Um, Blake Young. Blake Young. Blake Young. Yeah. Sorry. Thanks for keeping my brain is really getting faded. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, if you watch that race, um, we were down on power. Okay. So that year, that was the first year we were in Superbike. That bike had stock brakes on it. Our Buell EBR brakes. That's absolutely the same things that were on the showroom floor bikes the bike that blake was riding had works world Superbike brembo system not the suzuki system the really trick stuff made with that exotic aluminum alloy that they had that i forget the name of that all the trick shit and you watch that race and danny is beating him on brakes and corner entry because Danny was learning how to ride it. Now, he'd get frustrated because sometimes he'd cook the brakes, depending on how you ride it. But on the other hand, it was trying to get him to understand is it's also what's getting you to the front because we were really badly down on power. And that's the battle we had all the way up into World Superbike. We were by far the slowest bike in World Superbike because we just hadn't developed the motor. We were a tiny company. 
you know, and we were just trying to figure out, um, you know, how to get power out of that motor. Um, uh, but the chassis and the brakes, you know, they're just different. And we tried to get Brembo to build us a version that brakes because they had some really exotic alloys that are very uh, aluminum, but very rigid, higher, higher stiffness and higher heat resistance that they put in their race brakes that we wanted. And the Brembo engineer talking to us said, hey, you know, with, we think this brake system's pretty cool. Would you be interested in working with us to build a, you know, stuff for one-off stuff for World Superbike? And we said, absolutely, you know, we're tired of struggling and, uh, and not having help. And then their marketing people came over and said, no freaking way are we gonna work with you. You buy what we have. Oh man. See, that's what's so frustrating too, man. And I feel like in certain instances, and I'm going to skip back just a little bit, but you know, in your, and clearly you're a very honest upfront guy, which we love on the podcast, but is if, if you could have done it all over again and you had your choice, would you have still picked the, this is before the 1125 Rotax, but would you still have picked like a Harley power plant? Cause a lot of people, talk to you as if you were like the American Bomoda because they build beautiful chassis that kind of work good, but yours seem to always be more race oriented than say a Bomoda. But, you know, sometimes the downfall is just that air cooled Harley engine. Um, if you could do it all over again, I mean, do you think you would have outsourced some Ducati power or maybe some, another brand or would you, do you just happy with the ride you took? Cause I mean, you got a very freaking special career in my mind. Well, you know, I just wanted to build great, great motorcycles and uh, racing. I love racing personally, um, but racing to me from a business perspective was brand building. That's why I did it. That's why I did it at Buell. That's why I did it at EBR um, because business is different than fun. Um, but on <laughs> the other hand, business, you know, marketing is a big step. So, you know, what's the best, best way to market and get, you know, build your brand in motorcycling? especially if you're new and very unknown, well, racing. Uh, and candidly, it, it worked for me from that perspective. So again, there's so much misinformation. I want to bash my head against the wall sometimes. And I'd love <laughs> to write the book, but it'll never get done because on the other hand, I, I get too bored. I'm too ADD to sit down and write a book. Uh, but, uh, you know, you'd love to have, you know, the, the true story out. So fundamentally, there are a couple of things when I started Buell, um, I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to build sport bikes, American sport bikes, and I couldn't do a motor to start out with. And uh, the challenge of doing it with a Harley motor was kind of cool, tempting to me because the motor had charisma. Um, it was American made at that time. Uh, it, you know, um, the dealers <laughs> like, like Lancaster Harley, uh, there were a lot of dealers who liked sport bikes, but they didn't have a product. And I thought, you know, maybe this is a cool way to do it. And the challenge of people laughing at Harleys, you know, going, I went, you know, I could build a pretty cool sport bike out of that, around that engine, because it would feel good. It would have great rideability. It wouldn't be all that fast. And that's the reality of that motor. But it was kind of an engineering challenge combined with a marketing opportunity of having an American thing. I did want to do my own American you know, more high performance motors as the company, you know, moved along. 
Uh, but I don't know that I would have taken a different trip. You know, looking back in retrospect, there's certainly things that I wish I did differently. Um, but I don't know that I could have. <laughs> I wish I'd have started PayPal first, then I could have done something. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. Buell Pal. <laughs> <laughs> then you'd have the fun to do shit that really mattered and not have to deal with freaking financial oh, corporate, corporate, you know, good. I would say that. The day Tesla or, or uh, Amazon decides to build their own motorcycles, man, it's going to be kind of insane. There's no telling what's going to happen there. But I, I would be surprised if they didn't have a little bit of Eric Buell uh, 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 innovation to them for sure. But, uh, Corey, I know you got something to, to ask, too, because, I'm dude, I am loaded up here on, on excitement and questions. So go ahead, Corey. No, it's all good. I just wanted to kind of talk about – because the story that I've heard back in the day, the way you kind of got into – into the door with getting Buell dealers was you actually went to like a, a Buell, I'm sorry, a Harley Davidson dealer meeting. And you kind of just went around and asked, you know, dealers if they'd be interested in, in buying the product and you got deposits for all these motorcycles and the excitement with, like you mentioned, these Harley Davidson dealers, you know, the Tillys and, you know, Texter and, I'm trying to think of some, some of the other names, but um, they're they're racing enthusiasts and they love the the road racing, but they didn't have a platform to kind of get involved or sell the bike. So talk about that, um, kind of how you got got into the dealer network and started selling these bikes to, you know, Harley dealers. Yeah, that's a that's a great story. And I'll try to make it short and, and quick, but it but it, it was super critical. You know, I had designed and built that first bike, and then, then I had built for Tilly a chassis, and, and for the Harley group, I built them a couple of frames, and I had built a prototype of R1000, um, and was trying to think about one of the first guys who ordered one was a Harley dealer out of uh, uh, Maryland, uh, Devin Batley, and uh, and uh, I was talking to him, and he said, there's more guys like me out there, and I went, yeah, I guess that's right, and he goes, hey, I got a thought. Why not? I got my, I broke up with my girlfriend and uh, I got two tickets. I won for the Harley. Uh, it, it wasn't a dealer meeting. It was actually a dealer reward cruise in the, in the, in the Caribbean. <laughs> I broke up with oh, my nice. girlfriend and I got, you know, I got a second you know, bed in a room if you want to stay with me and I promise I'll leave you alone. No, but anyhow, um, you know, uh, why don't you go and come on board and talk to some of these guys? And I went, shit, that's brilliant. So I went on board. I printed up some little brochures that were like pathetic, but got onto the cruise with him and started kind of walking around the hallways and, and meeting some of the guys I already knew, you know, through, you know, through racing and knowing about racing and started talking to people, you know, kind of pulling out these little brochure from underneath my jacket. Like if I was selling stolen watches, you know, walking through the hallways of the boat. Uh, so we're in this cruise ship, you know, and people started taking orders. And then I got a call. Uh, somebody came by where we were staying and say, hey, uh, you know, Vaughn Beals wants to meet with you. And I went, uh-oh. Vaughn Beals was the CEO of Harley at the time. And, uh, I knew him. And it was interesting when I left Harley, you know, I had uh, been there four years, but I had, uh, you know, five promotions. You know, I started as a junior test engineer. And right before I left, they offered me either a chief engineer on a three-wheeler project or to run the Sportster program. And I said, 
can I make the sports store into a sport bike? And they said, no, 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 we're just putting the level evolution engine in it. And then they said, what about the three? And it's like, we're going to build this thing with a Citroen engine. And I said, you know what, I'm out of here. But Vaughn Beals uh, asked me in for kind of an exit interview. And uh, I had talked to him and I said, you know, I just love sport bikes and I can't do this anymore. I got to go do, I, I just, my heart isn't in this and I just don't believe in cruisers. So Vaughn called me and he goes, well, what do you think about cruisers now? And I went, yeah, you were right, but I still love race bikes. And he goes, uh, um, so you're trying to sell bikes? And I went, oh, yeah. And uh, he says, well, what? tell me about it. And I told him a little bit. And he said, uh, well, you need more motors. And I get, yeah, I'm just trying to buy them through dealers. And he said, well, we got all those leftover XR1000 motors. You can buy them direct from me. And I'll give you a room that you can set up a little table in to sell things so you don't have to sneak around anymore. Wow. And that was Vaughn. Uh, Vaughn was the man who turned Harley Davidson from a bankrupt company into the success it became. The guy. He was and that relates to when they bought Buell later too. He was a freaking visionary and a real leader. He was an awesome guy. Man, I, that, that's that's amazing. The whole just the see, this is the stuff that Corey and I like talking to you guys about because the, who who the hell would have ever guessed that you kind of got your start by hustling on a cruise ship? And I'm a hustler myself, so that is like <laughs> just an that's epic badassness right there. Like, look, I've got one shot. I'm going on a cruise ship. We're going to get these Harley dealers liquored up. I'm going to sell some motorcycles. <laughs> and damn it. And then all of a sudden you got the freaking VP in your back pocket, man. That doesn't get any badasser than that. <laughs> the CEO, what's interesting is, you know, I was being an engineer, but when I left Harley, when I had that exit interview, uh, Vaughn said, okay, you don't like any of those engineering projects. What about if I put you in marketing? I went, dude, no. Ooh. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he was right. It's interesting. I mean, he he kind of saw something in me that I didn't, you know, realize I had. That might have been an interesting trip if I'd have taken it. But anyhow, so that's the way that went. Uh, he he bought into me, and then he uh, met up with a guy that used to be my the VP of who was the VP of engineering and had become the VP of parts and accessories, which is a guy named Jeff Bluestein, really nice guy. But you know. I had worked under him because he had been the VP of engineering and he told Jeff to set up this deal where I could buy those motors through, uh, through Harley parts and accessories and all those sorts of things. Um, so again, that was, uh, that was Vaughn. So, okay. I, I'll Damn. make it too long winded. So I'm shutting up. No, I'm Hey, don't worry about it. Corey and I get off on, on tangents all the time. We'll be just like rambling on. So don't, don't sweat it, but I do want to move along to something else too, because you've got a very good following. I don't know if you even know what the Weira forum is, but uh, it's a road race forum that I'm, I'm involved with and I've been for years. And so I kind of asked them a few questions and some of these guys are really, really knowledgeable. And um, one of the ones I wanted to reach out on because I had no freaking idea what can you tell me about Project Griffin? <laughs> well, that's not exactly a road racing project, but... Uh... <laughs> I know, but hey, we, we do it all here. But uh, this was something that I hadn't seen any pictures. I haven't seen any leaks or anything. And th I'd love to hear about it and from straight from, from you, if you don't mind. Okay, well, Griffin was our motocross project. Um, uh, motocross, and then there was going to be, uh, you know, dual purpose enduro a whole, a whole series of bikes built around a modern water-cooled single. 
Um, was this by Harley? Like, was this going to be a Harley designed engine, or is this? Well, I guess what time frame? Because he just said, uh, ask him about Project Griffin. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but um, is this like you know back in the '80s? Are we in the 2000s, or oh, where no. are we? This is uh, mid 2000s um, kind of era, and uh, you know we needed to branch out into 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 dirt bikes. Um, um, again, being a performance, you know, bike company and looking for ways that we could enhance Harley. So once again, let me take, let me explain to you. Let me just take a little side road to explain this. When Von Beals bought Buell, he brought me in. I had been contacted by them and we'd been, I had had run Buell for 10 years on my own and built some cool bikes that had won some championships and stuff, but very small company and could not get financing. I was struggling everywhere and just couldn't grow the company. I mean, it was going along, but just I needed serious money. And uh, I got a contact from Harley saying, you know, we want to talk to you about Buell and maybe you coming back and helping us in engineering. And I went, oh man, I do not want to go back and engineer Softdales. I don't. <laughs> uh, but then I met with Vaughn briefly, and he said, he said, do you remember when you told me you thought you know, cruisers were a dead end? And I went, yeah. And he goes, well, what do you think? I said, I was wrong. I was wrong. And he goes, yeah, but you were, he said, but I do understand your perspective. And he said, the reason I made Harley's success is I got into the customer's heads and I built them what they wanted and I gave them what they wanted. And he said, but if I want Harley to grow, that's not the only customer I need to go after. And he said, I spent last year going around to the races. I went to Laguna Seca. I went to places where Harleys aren't. And I talked to the people. And they're saying, well, someday I want to have a Harley when I get older, but I want a sport bike now. And he goes, I realize my brand is aspirational. I can charge a lot of money for it. And he said, so it's, I want it to stay like a Rolex, Rolex watch brand. And he said, there'll be ups and downs in the sales volume, depending on the economy. But if I make Harley grow into a different, into something more than that, uh, he said, I, I'll be able to weather that and keep the corporation growing. So I see Buell as a brand that will do bikes for younger customers, high performance, You'll need to compete with the Japanese. And I don't want to do that with a Harley brand because that's like make, cheapening the Rolex brand by making cheap watches. And he said, you can't come back from that. So he said, I need another brand to do that. And I went, I got it. I'm in. So that leads, leads to this. And then there's a lot of long and hideous stories about how the rest of the various leaders afterwards ruined that and didn't understand it. And I laugh now because finally, oh gosh, we're doing an adventure tearing back. It's like you dumb asses. But anyhow, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's what the Buell brand was formed. We were already doing it, but they're just idiots. Anyhow, he was not an idiot. He was brilliant. But so what they want, you know, based on that is then we need dirt bikes. Um, Cause that's fun. My garage is a, still has a bunch of dirt bikes in it, you know? So dirt biking and road bikes, that's, you know, sport bikes is bikes that are athletic. It's just a different kind of riding style than, than cruising. And so we set out with the goal of building 
uh, dirt bike. Now I had had the very first, I, I had a Husenberg, the very first, because um, I always rode dirt bikes and the idea of a four stroke was very intriguing when Husenberg came out with that really wild, uh, you know, two stroke with a four stroke cylinder head stuck on it back way back when I got one of those. And then I got the very first Yamaha uh, 400 or whatever it was. Yeah, the YZ400 with the compression release. <laughs> Impossible to freaking restart in the woods. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and I knew a lot of guys who raced. So I looked at the motocross market. They were talking about, let's expand into that. I said, okay, but here's what we're going to do. It's, it's, it's got to have an electric start. It's got to have fuel injection. And... Uh, you remind this is like 2003 okay uh, wow. and and uh, it's got to be durable because i know a lot of guys who are racing like semi-pro um and compared to the two strokes like uh, okay if you're a factory rider it doesn't matter somebody else pays for the keep the bike running that's one thing if you're a guy who rides you know six weekends in summer and you have the latest and greatest things in your garage just because you have money it doesn't matter but for the guys who are racing and didn't have big money behind him, which was like I was when I was a privateer at road racer. They're going broke trying to keep these 450s and 250s running. They're expensive. The cylinder head rebuilt several times a year, you know, on and on. It's compared to, you know, just putting a ring pack on your two-stroke, you know, running a barrel, uh, you know, a hone through the cylinder set of rings, you're ready to go again. This is expensive. So I said, the other thing is the durability has got to be 10 times what people are selling today. And uh, that was kind of the goal. And uh, so we built prototypes and we even started moving with it. And we work with Rotax and there's a long story behind that. But anyhow, basically, Hart, there were some Harley execs who, you know, again, everything's nameless, who did not like us <laughs> and, and didn't agree and wouldn't partner with us. And it was always an internal battle with some of them. And so we went to Rotax because um, uh, Harley was okay with that because they weren't doing motorcycle motors and this, and they had raced Rotax powered flat trackers, right? Yep. Um, it was what Harley used to run in the smaller, in the single cylinder events. Uh, so uh, we built this, these prototype uh, bikes and got ready for production. And in fact, it was announced at the Harley dealer show in whatever year it was, and I'm forgetting, it's somewhere in the mid 2000s, that the, by the next year, there'd be a, you know, a dirt bike lineup. And there were kind of like, uh, you know, uh, vague pictures on the screen. You couldn't really see what the bike was or anything. But anyhow, it was great. It weighed the same as a CR450F at the time. And the engine had 10 times the durability on the dyno. We bought multiple Honda engines to run them and we were, they wouldn't make 10 hours on the dyno test we did and ours would run hundred hours. The motor was a little heavy, but our chassis was lighter. So we were right at the same weight as them with the electric start and fuel injection. We would have been the, the first uh, 450 with those features if it had come out on time. Well, you're talking Literally. 2003, I think you said, or, or mid 2000s. And, mid 2000s, 2006. Well, the, the first. I mean, if you went online, if you Googled it somewhere, I'm sure you could find it being announced at the Harley dealer meeting that it was going to be out the next year. But well, just anyhow, for some, in, first, in, for some perspective, real quick to the listeners, the first fuel injected 
450 essentially from the major brands. I think it was Suzuki in 2008, maybe 2009 is when Suzuki came out with their right. fuel injected bike. I think it was 2008, Honda was 2009. You're talking early 2000s where the Honda 450, which was changed the game of dirt bike, motocross, supercross, that was 2002. So yeah. Keep- well, it was mid 2000s, but we would have been ahead of them. Right, right, right. Yeah. So what uh, so, happened to the, the how'd the project fall apart? Uh, <laughs> this is so crazy. So Harley. in December, okay, and so you know the dealer shows are in July. So this will tell you how close to production we were. Like right there. Um, so six months later and six months before the dealer launch would have been and probably nine months before production start, you know, so we would have sold them at the dealer show that year. Uh, and then for delivery later in the year. And then anyhow, that December, we had a call saying, well, with board of directors had a meeting, the program's canceled. Well, what? That's so crazy. That is, that's so crazy to me how they can just like, I mean, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of that. Obviously you, you do, you were there, but uh, man, I just, I don't know the mind. ins and outs, but I went, what? And I couldn't, I wasn't in the meeting. I wasn't invited. The two points that the board of directors brought up, who are a bunch of morons, which is clear from the way they ran it into the ground over the next 10 years, although it looks like it's kind of recovering now, but it couldn't get much worse than it got to in 2009. So anyhow, this is the same people who are running into the ground. There are two reasons were, one, dirt bikes are not sport bikes in the same, it's a different, totally different customer base. So therefore we'd have to have a whole different dealer network, blah, blah, blah. That's completely insane, number one. <laughs> number two, it's not green to have dirt bikes. There green is in like green is in like pollution green, like yes, liberal green. There was, yes. There was well one or two people on the board who were pretty obsessed about that, who were like Greenpeace people. And uh, and they said because of those reasons, one. One is because they're not green, we believe the, uh, the dirt bike industry is going to die soon. Isn't this around the time that they had like special warnings on the little dirt bikes where like, because they thought it could be a choking hazard for like the kids. <laughs> well, Remember, remember that? the lead, lead paint, don't eat, like apparently they were telling kids not to eat the paint on the frames and shit. Like, no, I know. That was probably around the same time frame. It was crazy. I remember seeing tags on like little 50cc dirt bikes that something choking hazards it's like what like yeah so, Corey, real quick and i don't mean to interrupt but i was just do it like eric said check a google and i'm on this vital mx i just googled buell motocross bike and there's actually one on display and i was just at barber because i knew they had a buell display but i cannot remember seeing this dirt bike but if you want to use it for the uh, promotional stuff it, it's a freaking amazing looking dirt bike it's made out of, i mean the frame and bodywork looks like it might be clay but it's definitely unique looking. I mean, That's typical badass. to the Buell brand. I'm, I'm, and well, there's a little description underneath it too. I remember Eric. Eric, I remember the, I remember the time frame around there. Like being a, a kid that grew up in a Harley shop, I rode dirt bikes. And around that time frame, I remember hearing, you know, the news that that's what the company was working on. And, you know, my dad, I was, man, I, I probably wasn't even a teenager yet. I was a young buck and, my dad's like, you know, hey, they're, you know, they're making a Buell dirt bike. And then I remember asking, like, is it out yet? Is it out yet? And years went by and it's like, <laughs> damn, it never happened. But uh, no, that's an, that's an incredible story. I, I kind of wanted to transition a little bit 
um, to some of the bikes that Buell kind of Buell came out with. And if any of them stand out, obviously they're all very special to you. And, um, you know, once you, once you came back and, and worked with Harley on, on this project and obviously the brand and everything else, you were still in charge of the design. And, um, you know, you were, you were the guy that helped design these motorcycles and, um, it's crazy. I'll be, you know, I'll be on the road and I'll see, I'll see a Buell and I'll know exactly what year it is and what model, but I can't tell you what, you know, I didn't know any Harley models growing up, you know, growing in a Harley shop. I didn't have any interest really in, in Harleys. I, I was a Buell guy and I can see these Buell, like I couldn't pick out a fat boy and tell you the difference between, you know, when I was younger, what, what the hell it was, but I could pick out a, a white lightning or a cyclone or, a, you know, an S3. Uh, so it, it's just the bikes that you put together and sold, um, all the way from the S2, which was kind of the original Thunderbolt type deal, all the way up until the 1125. You had the Buell Blast, the M2 Cyclone, some of the other ones I mentioned. Um, any particular favorites or anything that stands out from from the line of specific motorcycles that you did while while that was part of the the dealer network? Uh, man, I I don't know that there was such I mean, a broad I, question. I like them. You know, I, I like them all. There's a couple that are a little weaker, maybe, but in general, I really like them all. I mean, XBs are, are really cool bikes. Um, and uh, I love the Blast. The Blast had so much potential. Um, and once again, was stabbed in the back, but uh, there were, uh, which is a long story, but. Uh, there were a lot of cool bikes. There were so many cool bikes that didn't come out, both at, you know, Buell and EBR that it makes me want to cry, but uh, that's probably the most of it. I don't have, I, I had a collection and I, I sold it all because I invested some in this electric bicycle motorcycle company that I'm involved in now that's um, kind of small. We're still looking for investors in it, but that's, that, that's where that is. But I had a pretty cool collection of some really neat stuff um which uh, some of it went to barber because george has a fantastic collection of buell stuff and some of it went to a, a guy a dealer uh, actually because the guys who owned a dealership up in northern wisconsin in appleton they have a pretty pretty cool collection of of uh well, stuff, the that, uh... stuff that was supposed to go in the crusher and didn't <laughs> so I, I have an aluminum frame and aluminum swing arm unlike the clay ones that <laughs> the george has I actually have Griffin stuff up myself. Well, the bikes that I have in my garage right now, Eric, it's the, uh, the Buell super tracker that my dad and grandpa built that Brian Bigelow won the, the AMA flash oh, yes. championship on. Yep. Yes. So I have that bike. I have the, uh, I had a Buell blast flat track bike that it was kind of my first flat track frame chassis bike. And I still tell people the, the blast flat tracker was the best handling framer I've ever rode in my life. Um, you never felt a bump on it. It was a heavier bike, but it handled so good. I have my dad's Buell Lightning that he raced the uh, Daytona inaugural. Um, it was like the Battle of the Buells, whatever, the Buell Lightning yeah. series. And then uh, I actually have a Buell XBRR. So kind of wanted to talk That's about my girl. Wanted to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. The, the Buell XBRR, there were. I think around 50 of them made, I, yeah. I, 
I've heard 25 went overseas or, or so and 25 stayed here. And the, the bike is such a unique bike compared to anything that's ever been designed. So talk about that a little bit, that, that motorcycle and the idea behind it. Oh God. Yeah. That was a wild project. It was, uh, again, we're, it was for, out of the marketing group and stuff. There were some people who were like, you know, we really need to get seen out there on the, on the racetrack. And, um, the AMA at that time did a class where they really wanted to get more brands into racing uh, because it had become mostly the top, the Japanese four cylinders, you know, Ducati wasn't involved, nobody else really. So they kind of took that one class and made it a really weird mishmash of stuff. And we were looking at the class rules and said, I don't know, we might do okay in there. Um, and talked to them and they said, you know, said, what do we have to do? And they said, really, anything you want to do, we just want you in there because we just got to shake up the stuff. So we went and I, I, what I wanted to do was, you know, I know I need, I needed water cooled motors and everything else, but I think what air cooled motors, at, at least until the demands of emissions or something fed, some government rule made them be forced out of business. I always thought air cooled motors were cool and had a future, but they needed to be modernized. So for me, it was an opportunity to build a big bore short stroke um, prototype to show that it could be done and hopefully do it in production. Um, you know, build a, and it, so it was a 1350cc, um, you know, air-cooled uh, kind of Sportster XB, Buell XB motor. Um, but we had to do a lot of things to so get the big bore in it and stuff. The case, the, you know, the cams had to move outboard. And there were a lot of things that needed to happen to that, you know, core motor that required us to redo some stuff. And uh, so our goal was, you know, to go out, to be competitive on the racetrack, you know, to get people going, whoa, whoa, this is crazy. This is fun. Um, and then sell it internally so that that would replace the 1200 motor. Uh, the old long stroke small bore 1200 Harley Sportster motor, because um, this would be a better motor. Um, so, so we worked on that. Uh, one of the frustrating things about that program was we built the prototypes. Um, we're testing them uh, while we're getting ready for production. And what my goal, what I told everyone is, we have to run two times the length of a race uh, with multiple bikes before I'll field it. Um, so we were testing down at Texas Speedway and we succeeded. But in the meantime, at Harley, some of the people involved in the, some of the executives decided and leaders that they wanted to put some potential future Sportster parts into that engine. And so they changed the engine after we had tested it. And they changed three parts in the engine to pre-production parts for future Sportster. And they didn't run those on the track. They ran them on the dyno and they said, they're fine. And I said, the dyno is different from the racetrack. We need to run them in a bike on the track. They didn't listen to me. And sure as shit, when we ran Daytona, the bike, all bikes fail. And every one of them failed for one of those three things that they changed. Son of a bitch. Sorry. Oh, oh man. And then they yelled at me. And I, you know, these are the reasons I get so fucking angry at them. 
They're like, well, that was a disappointing. I'm like, why did you do that? That's, that's huh. where the, the bean counters come in and, and ruin everything because, uh, you know, there's such a difference. I, I, I had a very brief, brief segment where I was one of the factory triumph road race teams in like 13, 14. And, and it, it was very similar. Obviously we didn't build a whole bike from scratch like you did, but, uh, certain things that we weren't allowed to do that would have made the bike better just because of say marketing or someone higher up the chain that has never even sat on a road racer, much less, you know, much less twisted a throttle, but is going to make a decision. And it's so frustrating. <laughs> Isn't it though? God, God, mm, mm, don't let people know man. You know, know what they're doing. Let them do it. You know, don't step. So, they have committees and groups, and you know. Yeah, they don't. You know, there was stuff that's really. I, I'll I'll tell you one other little story that. Now well, maybe I won't because I don't. No, tell it. Do it. You already opened that can of worms. This is something that really bothers me uh, to this time. It just makes me furious, and I think about it a lot when I think about not just me, but how many other people. Um, how many other programs probably fall into things like this? You know, when we were, uh, there were some execs again uh, uh, who, who were very political, knew all the right stuff to do, very self-centered, and actually either were stupid about what the decisions were doing or didn't care. So uh, when, when, when Harley was growing, so this is in the mid 2000s. Um, they were uh, up to almost 300,000 units a year, 250,000 or something. So they made it. They decided one of the. They decided they would buy this Briggs and Stratton plant here in Milwaukee. Um, and while they were at it, uh, they would buy all equipment in it to build a half a million big twins a year. Now they were just at 300,000. So you're talking about buying 70% more capacity than you need. And I was in meetings going, guys, because I was sort of in the leadership meetings, in, in pretty high leadership meetings, I was. And I'm like, what if we don't sell that many? And they go, what, what are you talking about? We did a survey and everyone in America wants to go to Harley. And I said, everyone in America wants to fly to the moon. I, I said, you know, that, that, stop. What, 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 what if it's a downturn? And I, th I would always think that way because I started my business in a damn garage. <laughs> and I had to watch everything, you know, and I was always worried about those kinds of things. Like these guys were on an ego roll high rolling, you know, going to Vegas and gambling 40,000 bucks on the table. They're, you know, multi-million dollars presidents and VPs, and they're just doing this kind of crazy shit. So then I go, okay, if we're doing that, we need to consolidate capital drive out of there. Oh, that's not going to happen. The union won't let that happen. And they would have listened to negotiation, but it was just easy to just do what they did. And so basically what then what happened was all of a sudden, there was a massive surcharge added on to every Buell engine because the overhead was far more than what they could. They had to pay off this equipment that they weren't using. I mean, a lot of those machines never got ran when Harley was shut down and they were sold to given away to SNS. And those guys were up there were laughing and said, we got brand new 
million dollar, multi-million dollar machines out of that Harley plant. So fundamentally what happened was the blast motor, when we built it, okay, when we were when Harley and the sportsers were running, they were charging the old air-cooled motors, the tube frame type motors, pre-XP motors. They were charging us $1,700 per motor for the XB was massively cost reduced and it was related to the blast. So the XB motors were supposed to be billed to us at $1,300 each and the blast motors at 1,080, I'm sorry, 1,350 and the blast motors at 1,080. After they bought that plant, they started charging us $2,300 for a blast motor and $2,700 for an XB motor. Mm, that's that dirty. The price. <laughs> Damn. So all of a sudden, Buell's barely break meat, breaking even. That ain't true. We were coughing in millions and millions to pay for that bullshit, bad decisions, which, you know, after Harley crashed as they were driving it straight into the rocks, it was obvious that was happening. And they brought the cost cutting guy on board. Well, he shut down Buell and he shut down a bunch of, you know, Harley plants and he shut down Buell because it wasn't profitable, wasn't adding much to the bottom line, which is a tragedy. And then he shut down Capital Drive and consolidated everything, which was the right thing to have, that should have been done as soon as it ever happened. Well, I but wanted to bring that up, Eric. Those actually. guys walked away with, you know, their golden parachutes. Guys got let go from the company people who led that whole mess and all those people lost their jobs and all that shit happened and Harley's stock went to almost nothing and took it still hasn't recovered yeah. and those guys do those kinds of things and it's like I think about that and you know obviously that's personal to me um and you know just a bunch of lies that were sold but how many times has that happened to other places that's wrong yeah, I mean, I wanted to mention too, around that time frame is when um, you, Buell was kind of, well, not kind of, but they were kicking ass on the track too. So 2009, Eslick won the championship on the 1125. Um, the sales of Buell were going up. You won the, I didn't even know this till I looked it up, but I, well, I knew there was a championship, but I didn't know it was the same year, but the NHRA Pro Stock Championship you guys also won in 19 or I'm sorry, in 2009. So, um, yeah, it was a up and down kind of couple years there for, for the company. But once you, uh, once that whole disaster kind of happened, you didn't really waste any time. That's what, that's what me and Rob were talking. We really appreciate about your, your personality and you're, you're a hustler, you go after it. It's, it's me and Rob are very similar in, in the projects that we work on, but um, smaller scale, you know, of course, but you know, you went after it and you, you started Eric Buell racing in 2009. And, you know, we talked about that era a little bit, but, but that transition, you like, you, you didn't, you didn't kind of take defeat. You kind of, you know, took what you took, what the punches were thrown at you. And then you, you, you continued on and with, uh, with Eric Buell racing. So it was a uh, kind of a crazy couple year transition for you. Yeah, that was, that was, that was, uh, you know, really intense. And, uh, you know, my goal, you know, has always been, my goal has always been to build, you know, great American, you know, motorcycles and employ as many people here as possible. 
and export a lot of product because our balance of trade screwed up in this country and we're, you know, we're this country been really run stupidly. Boy, if I got on a pit of political rant, I quit being ugly. But, um, you know, I, I just sat and I went, son of a bitch, okay, this sucks. But um, maybe this is an opportunity because what I want to do is I was very frustrated by the things I want to do in Harley that were killed over and over, whether it was the motocross bike, whether it was the, you know, turbo air-cooled bikes, whether it was, you know, the middleweight that we were working on, uh, the blast derivatives that were killed, which would have made that a much better engine and would have given it many years. All that stuff was killed. So I went, you know what, maybe with them out of the way, and this is nothing against Harley as a company or against the core employees, but man, they had a lot of jerk executives in there that were really bad to deal with, you know, that just were doing wrong things for the company. Um, so maybe this is my opportunity. And so what I can do now is I can focus on sport bikes. I don't have to worry about, you know, Harley helping them out. Um, and I want to see if I can do consulting. I want to see if I can hire out American engineering to other companies, maybe Asian large volume motorcycle companies. Because again, you know, globally, there's, you know, a few years ago, you know, the global sales of motorcycles, uh, power, you know, two wheelers was 62 million units. You know, so, so, so Harley is like three tenths of a percent. Um, so, you know, the global thing is, is, I thought there was real potential there. And a lot of those companies are just building copies of, you know, 1960 Hondas. And, and that's, so I, that's what I set up EBR to do. And we went racing again because I needed to build the brand. I needed people to know what EBR was and that we were a technology company, you know, and that we could, Americans could build products that would compete with uh, Asian European companies in the sport bike world. Um, and the way to get that kind of notice um, is on the track because, you know, people see it on the track. But secondly, you know, the magazine guys, journalists and stuff kind of get caught up in that. They're usually enthusiasts. So they get excited about, you know, us, us being on the track. Um, and the other goal was, okay, I'm going to race. I know it's important for the business, but it's going to be paid for by somebody else. Because that's one of the rules is, you know, you do not, don't get sucked up into racing, sinking you from a business you know, it's a, it's a marketing thing, but I look around and I go, you know, look at Ferrari and all these people funded by, you know, bank companies or computer companies or, you know, whatever else. So I looked around for sponsors who would pay the bills. Uh, so it's kind of like free marketing. And uh, so that's what we set up the business to do. And it, you know, it was really successful till it, you know, smashed into the rocks. But, you know, we had brought in tens of millions of dollars worth of engineering consulting work at the time, you know, the time when EBR was peaked, we had like 120 employees, most of whom were techs and engineers who were being paid really well. And most of that pay was coming from overseas. So I was bringing in money from overseas. And, uh, you know, one of the things people don't know about Buell was we exported more Buells than we sold in the U.S., not by a large amount, but like 54% to 46. And I was always really proud of that because, um, you know, it's good for our country and it's also, you know, financially it's good for us, but it's also a respect thing as people overseas go, these are cool, you know? And, 
so you know that uh, you know anyhow that's what was going on with the UBR. So we had to go racing to build the brand. We went out, we ran American Superbike, and our goal was we were going to run that for three years and take a run at the championship the third year was the goal. And then maybe go to World Superbike. But the sad part was we were running in, you know, American Superbike. And again, we finished third brand behind Yamaha and Suzuki, but ahead of the other brands both years. Um, you know, we finished on the podium. We were really in the hunt, um, but AMA wasn't getting any uh, TV. Everything had been dropped uh, in uh, 2014. And our sponsors, mainly Hero, uh, said, this is a waste of time. We've got to go to World Superbike where people watch. So it was too early for us because we hadn't developed the motor to that level yet. Because World Superbike motors are hugely powerful, really much more so than AMA. But anyhow, that's kind of the racing thing. Then people go, oh, Eric, people shaking me. I've been wasting money on racing. That ain't true. It was paid for from the outside. You guys don't know what you're talking about, but that's the way it goes. <laughs> well, you know how people are with, with misinformation. It turns into like playing the kid's game telephone. So you hear one story, then it amplifies it and <laughs> amplifies and amplifies. And I'll be honest with you, man. I, a lot of the stuff you're telling me, I, I was under the wrong impression too, which is one of the reasons why we like to kind of clear the air so to speak because we have on this podcast put to bed so many rumors and just falsehoods and, and one of my favorite if you get time go listen to the kenny roberts podcast we did with him the king about what he actually said about that tv yamaha you know because everybody has the whole stereotypical this is exactly what happened and i was there because if everybody was there that says they were there there would have been 10 million people in the stands that day but but um, it, it's so refreshing to hear the uh, the true story straight from the horse's mouth. Kenny Kenny would tell it straight. He was a, <laughs> he was a cool guy. God, he was a great rider. <sighs> oh, for sure, man. He was what, uh, um, he was awesome oh. to ride. You know, I I said I raced with him, but at the same time, man, that, that that was probably a misnomer. My first year in '78, when I was running the first year as an expert, and I was on a TZ 750. I was running in the race and I was running in the top 10. Me and Gary Scott were battling. <sighs> and I'm pretty excited, you know, because I know who I'm racing with, you know. It's like, okay, this, I'm in the real deal. And all of a sudden, Kenny comes by me. And I went, what the hell? Did he run off the track or something? He had lapped me. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> but, so anyhow, he passed me on the front straightaway. His bike was faster. But that's not what it was. Because we went down to turn one, looped around, went down towards turn two, which used to be a lot longer than it is now. That horseshoe uh, uh, kind of U-turn before it went off into that fast left-hand kick. Anyhow, that big sweeping right-hander. And I, I so I follow him down up the banking, follow him in through the left-hander, go down that straightaway. He's pulling ahead. I'm like, I'm going to break when he is. And he goes down in the corner and just turns the front end. And, and I get... I can see the front ends kind of sliding as he's going to the corner. I went, whoa, no, no, <laughs> not me. <laughs> Been so there, done that before. And interestingly enough, later, I did break in the race, late in the race, my fucking CDI quit out, all right, I had ninth, <clears throat> a pocket full of money. But anyhow, he, uh, um, uh, the other guy, Johnny Takata, came by me on the same place. Um, uh, who was the number two rider. He finished second. He was on the other factory, Yamaha. I repassed him in the infield. <laughs> and then he he left me back on the back straightaway. 
But that's how good Kenny was. And Kenny lapped Zaccato that year. So he lapped the second place guy <laughs> on the same team who was a world he, champion. He was it, so freaking good. I'm, I'm this way in it. And Kenny, you're out there if you're listening, which you probably aren't. Uh, man, that guy could ride. Huh. I, I, at his best, there was nobody with him. And I've beaten Freddie uh, uh, when we were on super bikes. And never would have been able to beat Kenny. My God, he was good. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that was that was a good story. No, that's what we <sighs> we, we like because it's it's candid and it's uh, it's real straight from <laughs> straight from it. No, man, I mean that's that's amazing, man. I, I, I've had such a good time today already. <laughs> Corey, yeah. you're live over there, buddy. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm taking it in, taking it in. Uh, yeah, I had kind of one more question for you, and then we'll we'll kind of slowly wrap it up here, but you know, I, I don't know exactly what the story is, but I had some people that mentioned kind of your involvement with the V rod motor. Uh, what was, was that a Buell project that they took and used for Harley? Talk about that project a little bit. Cause it seems like something you would have, like if, when they mentioned it to me, I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. But what, was your involvement there? Did you have any have any involvement with the V rod motor? Oh, absolutely. That's what uh, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were there were three phases of trying to get a water cooled modern twin <laughs> uh, that involved me. The first was the original VR, um, which I was involved in. I was I was probably the lead guy in getting that thing initiated because I pushed for it in. Harley invited me into a meeting on that and they were going to build a modified Sportster motor. God, this is back in 1987. It's a good year. Um, and I said, you know, at that time there was a rule where you only needed to make 50 bikes, uh, to race. And I said, you can't be competitive because that was when they had thousand twins, 754 cylinder for the uh, superbike rules. And I said, you can't be competitive with an air cooled. It's never going to work. I said, but a water cooled twin, a thousand CC could win. And I, I said, and but you have to remember back in that time, Ducati's had an 851. Yeah. And the 888 next. Yep. So this was actually prior to the 888. So this is 1851 era. I said, a thousand CC modern engine will win. I said, so you, let's do this. And I got all excited. So I ran off and I got some information on Cosworth BDG. I talked to the folks at Cosworth um, and uh, I kind of laid out on just two dimensions on, 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 on you know, paper on a draft drafting board, took their motor that got a cylinder head from them and a piston and all those kinds of things. And I kind of laid out this 60 degree V twin uh, and I tipped the crankcase at a 13 degree angle. Uh, so I dropped the crankshaft low but had the output sprocket up uh, so I could get good anti-squat out of the frame geometry. Um, and, um, uh, you know, kind of Harley took those rough things and then went off and started doing a motor while I did a chassis. And so I actually did the first chassis for the first VR, but they never used it. And it was fueling the frame with split radiators, just like an 1190 RS. Um, and, uh, that had the fuel in the frame so that you could get enough air into the air box to make the damn thing breathe, which is the problem they always had why they could never get the power out of the bikes that they could get on the dyno. They didn't have a big enough air box. 
And that information came from just the research and talking to Cosworth about, you know, what's the secret for getting power out of a naturally aspirated, you know, motor. And that was a giant airbox, a huge airbox. Um, and uh, when they gave me the size of the airbox, and the size of the airbox is driven not by the displacement of the whole engine, but, the, but by the displacement per cylinder, like each gulp that it takes. And the size of that, and they gave that to me, I kind of sat there dumbfounded. And I went, that, that's the size of the gas tank on my TZ750, you know, or my RW. Uh, and that led me to say, well, maybe the gas tank ought to be the airbox. And where the hell am I going to put the gas? So let's put that aside. That was 87. And that frame was built in 88 and parked because Harley got sideways with me and went off and did their own thing. But come back forward. Uh, now Harley's bought me. <clears throat> and uh, there was a woman that they had brought on board. And this is again when Vaughn Beals was still on board. And Vaughn Beals wanted to build, have Buell be a real significant size business, um, not some little feeder to Harley. He wanted it to be a sport bike, youth bike, lighter, sport, less expensive bike company. Um, and I remember he at one point saying, you may be bigger in sales volume than Harley, but you'll never be as profitable. And he'd laugh because I want to keep our stuff expensive and premium. Uh, Anyhow, uh, he had hired a woman on board to do marketing because he had gotten frustrated. <laughs> Again, he, he was always thinking out of the box and he wanted fresh thinking. So he had hired a woman named Ann Tynan and she sent out and did research on potential Buell customers and came back and said, we need a modern water-cooled motor, which I would have told him too, but it's better to have that reinforced with real research. So based on that, because Harley had worked with Porsche on the Nova motor and, you know, he, Jeff Bluestein was, you know, had been the head of engineering at that time and supportive of that. They said, okay, let's go to Porsche um, and do a motor for you. So that was our motor. And so we worked with the guys, you know, the, at Porsche and it was actually their race department that was working on the engine. So the goal was, you know, was, 1,000 cc, 160 pound, um, uh, six-speed superbike motor for, for Buell. And um, so that was launched in like 90, man, my God, let me think, 90, uh, 95 maybe, I think. Because um, I know we were going to have it in production. It was going to be a 98 model. Um, that was supposed to come out. But Vaughn retired and all the lights went out in the place. So then Harley goes, well, you're doing this motor. We should have it too. And we went, oh, okay. We should do our version of it. Even though there was no market research saying anybody wanted it. So they start looking at their version and they get looking at it and then they decide that their new version needs to have big fins all over it and it needs to have big glossy chrome covers and blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden the motors are really different. And all of a sudden my motor got canned and it became the B-Rod. But I have revolution motor bikes with the original Porsche Buell 
actually have a couple of those guys up in Appleton to have them. <laughs> I don't have them anymore. I sold everything. Uh, and uh, so that would have been a 98. So again, you can look back in 98, we would have had a fuel in the frame, split radiator, um, thousand CC American made twin with a, you know, 160 pound engine. One of the things that happened, they made that when part was done with a motor, um, the thing weighed 205 pounds and they put a five speed in it. The later they went back and put a six speed in it, but they just turned it into a cruiser motor. And I'm not saying it wasn't a bad motor because Porsche did a good job. It was a cool motor, but it wasn't anything that their customers needed. It wasn't what their brand really needed. Um, and it killed what we needed. And that was all egos, not driven by what's good by the company. It was all what well, we should just because we can. So much of that shit happened. So much bad business decisions. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it is, but it's not surprising to me at all. Like the more corporate type world stuff I learn about, the more I'm like, man, it's it's so cutthroat. It it, it can't just be simple. It's got to be convoluted and just disrupted and turned to shit in so many instances. And it's so frustrating, man. I do um man, I've been thinking about this this one and it it slipped my mind, but uh, it's going to come back. So, Corey, I'm going to give you one more, and then I'm, I'm probably just going to interrupt your ass right in the middle of what you're trying to say. Cause <laughs> no, you're good. good. I, you're good. I just I'm trying wanted... to remember, though. So, Yeah, no, I, I just um, – I didn't really have oh, much I remember more. It. Go ahead, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah. we kind of alluded to this. And I, I think I heard him kind of smirk and chuckle at the very beginning. But, uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to let this thing go because – you know, Indian is one of our sponsors, podcast sponsors. They've been killing it in flat track, obviously. They've been killing it in the bagger stuff. I mean, they've got some good competition from Harley now, but man, wouldn't couldn't this come full circle with like, you know, Indian? And I'm not saying go super bike racing, but man, the only the sportiest thing they've got right now is their FTR 1200, to my knowledge. But it just seems like such a badass opportunity, like. I know there's way too many cards on the table to even think about it, but man, Indian, if you're reaching out, man, you guys need some sort of a sport standard unique. We got the guy to do it. He's dabbling in electric bicycles right now. So I bet Eric's got a freaking notebook full of ideas. Like I couldn't imagine if I said, Hey Eric, here's a blank check from Amazon. Go build me some cool shit. Can you imagine what it would be like? <laughs> I'd love to have that chance. <laughs> and, uh, believe me, and, it, and and like I said, you know, the stuff I do would work, and it would, uh, you know, and it would be profitable. You know, damn you, Harvey, for banking that money. I'm not well, going to mention well, names, but I wish I could. There's a couple. That, of hey, guys if, this, I'd love. if this comes I, to fruition, I, I need to, to get. You know, I would love to just punch in the face. You know, for what they did to that company and to you know in general. But uh, well, well you what know, do you want love to? And this is another. This was kind of a sad thing because when it was shut down. When Buell was shut down and then EBR, EBR was shut down. A lot of guys came over with me with EBR and I wound up getting an unbelievably talented staff at EBR. And, you know, we, we uh, got to remember, you know, we were doing all this consulting work for Hero, uh, which is what in the long run, we went too deep into that and that's what sank us. But fundamentally, uh, Hero is a big, big Asian, you know, Indian uh, motorcycle company that makes little, you know, 150, 200, a few 250 kind of bikes. And the CEO at that time, uh, they had split up with Honda. They had been a partner of Honda. 
and they had been building Hondas. Um, all they were just building Hondas designs, and he wanted new designs, and he wanted to go global. He wanted export out of India, so he wanted to build his brand name, and that's one of the reasons they sponsored the racing and stuff. Uh, but for them, we were working on designs. They were all done here, and we were at, you know, at the I'm trying to think of it was the 2014 Delhi show, you know. Um, Hero showed, Hero stole the show from everybody and Honda and everybody, they were like the talk of the show because they showed this enormous batch of new and concept products. I think 17 new vehicles. We did 13 of them in East Troy, Damn. Wisconsin. They all had the Hero brand on them, but they had all come from our place. And some of them made it to production some of them were production, virtually production ready and didn't make it. And some of them were concepts, but they all came from, from here. There were, you know, electric, uh, urban, uh, mini motorcycles, uh, hybrid electric scooters, uh, two cylinder, a 650 uh, uh, twin middleweight that was way freaking cool. Uh, a modern 250 water cooled four valve six speed uh, which was coming out in uh, uh, sport bike form and blah, blah, blah. But they were all export products. And with stuff that happens, and, and, and people have to understand, you know, uh, you know, corporations do what they have to do based on the situations. And Hero's situation changed internally. They were under attack from outside companies. Honda started building a factory in, in there and setting up dealers. And they canceled all idea of becoming a, a uh, big exporter and having products for overseas to protect their home market. Because you're talking, they were doing 6 million motorcycles a year in India. Um, and it, it may have been the right decision for them, but it tanked all our projects because they shut them down and we were way too deeply committed. And that's probably my fault, overcommitted because I was sure these were gonna go ahead. I mean, these were such big projects of such commitment. I couldn't believe that they would have stopped them. But the reason I'm saying this is we can do this in the US. The same time Harley was sourcing their stuff overseas. I mean, they had that engine for them. Their middleweight was designed in India by ABL of India. And the chassis was designed by engines engineering in Italy. And I was doing the consulting engineering for, for the wow. biggest motorcycle company in the world, which is Asia, which is the way it should be because Americans are great engineers. Uh, and and especially with the fetters taken off, which is you know what Elon has shown, right? You run a company, just turn. He's a brilliant freaking engineer, but he also hires the right people and he gives them objectives, and he motivates the guys who can get it done, and he gets rid of the guys who can't get it done, which is why you hear some people whining about it. But the rent, they go, oh, it was too hard working there. Hey, life's hard. Oh shit! Move on, right? Oh, shit. I'd rather. Right, and, man, golly, it's and and but, GM and Ford and all these people who are now doing it, they would have never have done it if he hadn't led the way. No, you're right. You're exactly right. You're and he, they he, had great engineers. They have great no. engineers. It was the corporate bullshit, and you know, keep everybody ah. happy. Let's have a committee decision that would never let that stuff get off the ground. And he cut through that. So again, yeah, I could do that in the right environment. I don't Indian. know. I can't do it now. Indian, <laughs> right after EBR was shut down, some of the employees went to there, 
And I know I had a couple of people go there who said, a lot of people who work for EBR and Buell like working for me a lot. Um, and they said, you know, why don't you guys bring Eric over? You know, why don't you do that? And the, what they were told then, and maybe it's changed, was uh, we can't have anything to do with Eric because that would mean we're associated with Harley. Mm, I don't think so anymore. <laughs> and yeah, they need to listen to the pod. <laughs> they need to listen to the pod. And and uh, yeah, no, that's that's really cool. Because I, <laughs> I pissed away. I, the, Harley was shut down in 2009. So based on that, you know. That's 13 years worth of stuff I could have been doing for them. All right, Corey, you got to send a link to email every Indian guy. Hey, you know what? Also, Eric, real quick, I'm a, I'm a longtime diehard Triumph guy, and and they, <laughs> I see their business plan similar to yours. They got, you know, they don't have all the the little meetings here and there. They got a couple dudes who are like, no, this is what we're doing. Like, for instance, this is why I love this part of the segment with you. They said, hey guys, we're going to build uh, Supercross and motocross bikes. And we're going to hire the best guys to build it. And that's what's going to happen. And I just see this like playing out like, all right, well, cool. And they already sent us, we've seen it and it's, it's amazing. And man, it, I see a lot of similarities there and in, in for what you've been telling me, but that's why I like Triumph so much is because the, the way they do things, it's, it's not, you know, honestly, a lot like Triumph is a brand that does a lot of great things, kind of like Indian motorcycle and, me growing up in a, with the heart, you know, growing up in a Harley shop and being a part of the motor company, quote unquote, it's, you know, even being so young, you could tell like how things have changed, you know, when I was there and, and the, a lot of the people you mentioned like Bluestein and, and everybody else, you know, it's, it's so different now. Like dealerships were, it was family based and it was just, you know, every, you know, most owners of dealers were, it was all families that have been in the, you know, business and they rode, you know, they were, they were part, they were part of the culture. And now it's even people that I've talked to over, over there, it's, it's just very, very corporate-y. And um, that's one thing, you know, with Indian motorcycle that, that I've noticed and, and with Triumph too, um, I'm not as far in with Triumph, but they're, they're just passionate about racing and they do it because they want to do it, not because they feel it's, you know, something they have to do. So no, it's a lot, lot to, man, we had a great show. There was so much to talk about. Appreciate you taking the time to come on. I wanted to give you just an opportunity to um, shout out to our listeners, like what you're working with right now. Um, it's an electric bike company. I, I looked them up. They're badass. So yeah, I wanted you to yeah. talk about that a little bit. And then also if you want to, um, mention you know there is so Buell is they've come back and they're doing doing some products but you're not from what I understand you're not involved with with that company anymore so I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of um, talk about your current projects and uh, what you might be doing in the future oh thanks uh yeah the currently you know uh I was involved in starting up and 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 doing engineering work for uh this electric uh um, two-wheeler company or, you know, lightweight vehicle company uh, called Fuel, F-U-E-L-L. And um, we're on uh, fuel.us, not fuel.com, because somebody else owned that and wanted a stupid amount of money for it. Uh, <laughs> so you have to look up fuel.us. But we have uh, electric uh, um, bicycles now. Uh, we have concept electric motorcycle and a bunch of designs in the hopper, but we've been in production for a couple of years with an electric bicycle, which I ride. 
And we have another uh, couple models of that coming out next year. Uh, just signed up with Tucker Distributing to sell them, which is fantastic. Uh, um, so uh, that's, that's where we're going. And the goal of that company was to make electric, you know, bicycles and, and motorcycles that are really viable transportation, not toys. So they're very high quality and very long range. Or if you run high power, they at least have a reasonable range. So it's all about having a lot of battery capacity um, and durability. So like belt drive and that kind of stuff. So it's very high quality um, bikes. And next year we'll also have some really cool safety stuff on it. Uh, so that whole electric world intrigued me for a number of reasons. Is one is it's it's coming, and I love high performance stuff, and I love engines, and they're you know, you know, the way electricity is generated is not as green as people think, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is we're running out of dinosaurs, so that's a fact. Um, and, and so we got to recognize that. And hopefully we improve all the ways of emissions that we're producing electricity. And I know I'm a, I'm a pretty smart engineering kind of guy. You know, the reality is some of the electricity is produced by coal burning plants. Um, and so you can beat up on that. And there's some truth in that. But like I said, the reality is that we're going to run out of petroleum. And so we need other ways and maybe they'll beam energy down from, you know, space, you know, with uh, microwave transistors. I know there's a Japanese company working on that and maybe we'll get more wave energy or maybe we'll get geothermal. I don't know, but we got to get energy for somewhere. And, you know, electric is a, is a, a really good step in that way. And if you don't step into it, you won't get better at it. So that's why I want to be in it. Same thing with safety. And I think next year when you see, what we come up with, that's going to be really cool. Cause I think that matters, you know, for two wheelers are, you know, tend to be dangerous. And we want a lot of people driving two wheelers instead of big, heavy energy consuming four wheelers. Well, they just need to be safer. Uh, and that's just, just as fucking rational. Anything else is not being wise, you know, it's all cool to be macho, but the reality is if you want to be in the business, if you want to change the world, you got to realize, you know, what, what people need, you know, to change their attitudes. And, and I do abhor big, heavy vehicles being used to transport one person around. It's just wrong. And even if they're electric powered, the amount of energy it takes to produce a 5,000 pound vehicle and the amount of energy it takes to hold up roads underneath it and the amount of space it takes up to park them and blah, blah, blah. It's just stupid. You know, so two wheelers are better. So. There, I said enough. Wait, hold on. I had to interject and interrupt. I was <laughs> listening to you the whole thing, but I need to know, like, how you feel about El Camino. Like, off topic, but it needs to be discussed because your value, your your input's very important to me, especially a G body because it's a smaller El Camino, so it shouldn't take that much, right? <laughs> hey, if you got it, all, if you got it all filled <laughs> up with stuff. I, I do put stuff in the back. Yeah, I just carried around my little Honda monkey in the back, and it was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and it's a great song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sending you an El Camino shirt. I love Elizabeth Cook. She's awesome. I also love country music, man. That's my other thing I'm working on. Is, man, I'm going to have an album up uh, at the end of the year. I'll be oh, over, really? over COVID in between because everything slowed down in the whole world. I, I wound up writing about 70 freaking songs. So I've tried to pick 
a dozen or so that I'm going to get recorded. Oh, let's go in LA next yeah. month. And then hopefully more after that, but yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. No, I, like we said, there's so much history. We could have had you on for hours and maybe we'll get you on again down the road, but just so much, so much knowledge and race and passion and, you know, championships won. And, you know, like I said, our, our little family dealership, we were really big in the Buells. My dad, Randy was, you know, a big Buell guy. So growing up and, seeing you at dealer shows and being a part of that Buell culture to have you on. I always say, I tell all these young kids, man, you missed out on the nineties. It was awesome. So just to have that, that Buell culture part of the nineties, it's uh, it's just really cool. And thanks for sharing all the insight. The fans are going to love it. And just uh, all the best with what you have going on in the future. Maybe we'll have to check out those uh, e-bikes, Robbie. We'll probably trash them, but uh, you know, it'd be cool to cool to check out the, and try for them sure. Yeah, I'm going to sure. definitely check them out for sure. I'm definitely interested. Hey guys, I, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. And thanks Robbie. And great talking to you, Corey. I watch you and Shana carrying on the tradition and go, this is of racing of your dad. I just grin from ear to ear. I go, that's cool, man. And love your enthusiasm. You. Love the show you're doing. And, uh, and thanks for, uh, providing all this energy. You know what? Here. And if you can, if you can make it to an AFT race this year too, try and get there. We'll make you, you know, VIP for as best as Corey and I can do. Yeah, but where are you located, now, you. Eric? Where, where are you at? Are you uh, still in Wisconsin or where? Yeah, where, yeah, I'm still in Wisconsin. Man, we race Fairyland Classic. Well, we race Cedar Lake too. Um, Cedar Lake, yeah, there we Cedar go. Cedar Lake later She's in the year. We'd love to get you there if you can. Uh, I'll have to get you some dates and and get you some tickets, but we'd love to have you there if you can make it. Um, oh man. Yeah. Give me the info on that. I love watching flat track. It's insane. It's fun. All right. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I'll get the info and uh, yeah, hopefully we can catch up soon. It's, it's been a while, but thanks again. And we'll chat you soon. Okay. Thanks guys. Bye. It was a pleasure, sir. See you, Eric. Bye-bye. Oh, wow. Another, <laughs> another good one. Oh my gosh. It's like, man, I, I don't want to like, you know, keep interrupting. I know I was doing that multiple times, but I would just keep getting these messages over and over. And all these guys were like asking questions. Like it's so crazy that, that his following and a lot of these guys are younger too. And, and I'm so happy to be able to say that because at first he was like, Oh, well, your generation kind of, he, he hit us with the, I'm an old dude, but wait, wait, wait a second. Now, you know, you, he's, he's carrying the torch for young well, guys. Well, for me, you know, I'm 34, you know, and, I, I know a lot of guys my age and I, am I young or old? Like what generation am I? Like, I don't, I don't want to be grouped in with the newer generation. Cause there's a lot of, you know, things the new generation does that, that I'm just, I'm like, man, what do you, what the hell are you guys doing? So I don't know what generation I fall in, but we're, you know, the guys, my age, we very, you know, we're very in tune with what Eric Buell has done and the Buell name and, it gets some scrutiny. I'm not, we're not, you know, we're not sugarcoating that the things he has done with his design is so unique and people aren't, you know, everybody's an expert on this or that, but he's obviously done a lot of research and he has reasons for the things he has done. And, you know, the, the aluminum frame to house the fuel, uh, it also created the, the rigid chassis and the hollow swing arm to house the oil, the under, um, uh, the exhaust it's like the, it's kind of like underslung whatever you know just the the design aspects of his motorcycles is open to scrutiny but he didn't fucking care <laughs> so it's the the brand so, and the the bikes speak for themselves i got some bad news for you though i was just looking uh it's because i'm i do a research while we're doing the pod whatnot but uh 
I just went to Eric's page. You know, add him as a friend on Facebook, whether or not you know he accepts. He might look <laughs> at my page one time, and be like, "Nope, fuck this guy." But uh, this guy named Devin Batley. I don't know who that is, but it said he was proud to be the world's first Buell dealer. That's who we talked um, about, the dealer from Maryland. Is that it? Bat- that's, Batley that's, cycles or something. Devin is the gentleman who got him onto that cruise ship. Who? Oh, that's right. Okay, there we go. To the, to the cruise ship. Yeah, yeah. I know that name very Dude, well. How- how epic too! just be like, Oh, I'm in my freaking board shorts with no shirt on, but let's just go mingle with Harley guys and start hustling my product. Like, dude, could you imagine if they had like a Honda cruise, which they would never obviously, but then Corey texture goes on there. Hey guys, look, you know, we really need to build this street tracker. And you just go <laughs> to all these Honda dealer guys. Like that would never happen. Can in you imagine world, me, but- me and you getting invited on a fucking cruise ship? <laughs> like- <laughs> dude, we're just completely shit faced. Like walking around. Fuck you. If you don't buy this bike, this is the greatest bike ever. And it's like, some hot cobbled up shit that we made like nothing remotely cool with Buell stuff <laughs> handing out but, flyers i wish i could fly. i wish he had one of those original flyers i'd love to have like oh that'd be it was sick. Sh- such a shanty flyer but man just to have that would be <laughs> it was made with like powerpoint presentation <laughs> yeah man it's so crazy that the journey like there's so much so much we could have could have talked about but yeah harley like i said back in the day they had these big and i haven't been involved in the dealership for a long time but they had these big harley dealer meetings and we'd have fancy cocktail dinners and they'd have they had jeff foxworthy like do um like a show at the end of one of them like they really it was so different back in the day and and now well, it's they just appreciated their dealers now it's big just a big conglomerate yeah. Yeah, and big and time. here's what's crazy too did you hear that uh i talked to george latest the other day he sold out oh i had no idea and he was a yeah, he was a long-time Harley dealer. Well, he was a long Harley Triumph. I think he had a few different dealerships and main brands. But So hats off to him for his retirement. And then, uh, hey, one other quick thing, too, while wrapping up. I mean, it's still flat track related, but uh, what's up with the B-Price deal? Did you see that? Like, do you know what happened? Do we have any insight on that? I did see it. I, you know, I don't know when this show will get dropped. I'm hoping it'll get dropped within a few days of recording this. But like I said, Billy, our, our editor, is graduating college. So congrats to Billy. But yeah, I did, yeah. I did see that. I think from what I've heard and understand, I don't know, you know, I know Sarah and, and then they listen to our podcast, but I think just they saw kind of how the Indian motorcycle, the FTR 750 was restricted. I think they saw how the bikes performed the first few races. And I think that was part, part of the reasoning. What I, what I kind of heard a little bit, uh, you know, Man, it, that's, uh... it is tough kind of like this close to the red mile. It kind of, gives you know we haven't raced in a while and it kind of gives you know puts price in a tough spot to try and find a ride before that double header but yeah i don't know i i haven't talked to anybody with their team or or anything but yeah it's a bummer i mean not having not having him possibly i I think he'll get a ride Uh, i don't know to what extent but not having another team on the grid you know the super twins class is already very small in numbers yeah well i mean i think howard's coming back briefly for a few races but still though that was gonna now if price is out that's gonna still keep us at 12 so yeah we got some we got some work to do man like me and you need to me need to sit down (laughs) hey also uh i do want to get with you on uh on our uh the name of our event in 2023 because it's going to be epic our uh, our crossover event we got to figure out when we can do it but uh anyway i know you're busy I'm oh busy we're doing and, it uh, we're doing that yeah we're definitely doing oh, okay. it doing okay. it yeah we'll start putting together stuff and uh yeah 
it's going to be good, man. It's going to be, we're going to bring back the super bikers vibe. So if you're a road racer, flat tracker, motocrosser, um, we're going to see who the real best of the best of the best is. And um, we're going to send out invites to everybody. So, uh, you know, pro classes, couple, couple very prestigious amateur classes, but uh, this is make no mistake. This is a pro event. The only thing we got to figure out is teams like say Mies and, um, and uh, Bauman, you know, are we going to let twins and singles run together or are they going to have to ride like, you know, an off brand, but we'll, we'll come up with that, but it's going to be good. It's well, gonna be good. one more thing I wanted to bring up before we, this has been a long show and I know you're, you're a working man, so I'll, I'll let you roll, but it gets brought up a lot. What is the, your honest opinion? Do you think the factory, like the factory Indian motorcycle, Briar and Meese, do you think their bikes are so much better than the privateer? FTR 750s, the, you know, the Ben Evans tuned bikes, the, the Johnny Goad, Johnny Goad tuned bikes. What do you think? You know, people say, you know, oh, and, and, and they're on factory bikes. So they've been performing better, Jared and Briar than the other riders. How much of that do you think is the riders and how much of that do you think it is the equipment? Man, from my personal standpoint, I think that the main benefit is the ability to try stuff. When I say that, I mean, like, so they've obviously lowered restrict they put restrictors in and whatnot so say that ben evans is like oh shit okay i gotta come up with a new camshaft and a new piston well briar and jared and i'm not saying they are doing this or their teams are doing this but they do have the ability to to maybe try five different pistons and cam combinations or you know they just have more resources now, I don't know if you put them all on the dyno and Mies and Bauman are making 10 more horsepower than the other guys. I don't know that. You know, I don't think anybody will ever know what Jared bike put on the dyno or, or Briars. And it's none of our business, really. But um, I'm not and, – and that's not to say Ben Evans doesn't know how to build an engine. He's won nationals before as an engine builder. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm sure he's not going to stop working. But at the same time, you know, and I love Bronson to death, but – Bronson only won one time on the factory Indian. And I got to think that it was the same as Briars, even though this is before the restrictors and whatnot. Um, you know, I'm not going to divulge and say anything regarding Shayna in that aspect, simply because it's still her first time on an Indian. Whereas, you know, Bronson's got lots of twins experience recently. You know, Shayna spent what, eight years on a single after going being on twins or something like that. So, yeah. Um, I think the miles will show a little bit more, but um you know, no, I just no know, what, like though. for that for that platform, those bikes were so good out of the box. You saw guys buying motorcycles and finishing on the podium, and you've seen yeah, privateer sure. Indian motorcycles win races. So, with that platform, like I think if you go back to the XR750 days, obviously there were were XR750s that were significantly better than others. Oh God, yeah. But at this yeah, point with those bikes coming ready to race. And it kind of goes to like where we're at with the 450 platforms right now, you can pretty much buy a 450, throw a, throw a slip on and tune it and go compete in podium and national where back in the day, you, you couldn't take a stock O3 Honda 450, essentially the motor yeah. stock and, and go be competitive. But the way they're building these motorcycles now, it's crazy, man. Like these new dirt bikes, it's actually better to run a slip on, with the stock header than it is to buy a full exhaust. Uh, like Dude, we want to get more power. We won the national championship with a stock piston and cylinder kit in our, our Husky, which is a KTM piston. Um, you know, no, no high compression, nothing against Weissco or CP or any other piston brands, but 
but it just worked the best for whatever the compression ratio that happens to be stock, you know? So yeah, I, I get that 110%. Now I think on, you know, on the mile, you're going to have to get like at least some good head work and, and, you know, but, uh, but I know you can clearly have you know, miles on the small. Yeah. yeah. It's NTTs too. Same thing. You know, I mean, we, uh, we took a bone stock KTM engine with an FMF slip on with Dalton at Daytona when they had the TT on the banking and, you know, Jesse won that race, but we got second, and got second. we built it in the freaking parking lot at Daytona, and it was, we didn't even check the valves, man, it was Johnny's moto bike, I believe, and thankfully, you know, he was uh, 10 training, or moto anatomy, what, I don't remember what he was called then, but uh, they, they hooked it up, and... Well, I mean, you even go to, you even go to the twin, like, the, the twin that I ride, the Yamaha, on most of the racetracks, we run stock pistons, we run the stock street bike, Yamaha MT-07 pistons, against you know the bunch of other brands that don't run stock pistons and yeah it's it's one of them things it just shows how good some of these bikes are but i just thought it was a a topic bringing up so no nah, we'll, well well i wonder <laughs> well sorry we're going to talk all day but wonder You're on good. that though does does indian or sns cycle do they offer like say a kit like hey this is the 2022 engine kit that we're running with briar like here's the pistons here's the cams you need i don't even think here's they know the I don't think they have right. a kit to sell because I think they're we haven't even they're run a still, mile yet. I think they're still trying to figure out what's going to work. And, you know, this I don't know. This might be the last podcast we do prior to the Red Mile just because of uh, of scheduling and things like I'm going to VIR and uh, I don't think we'll get another one in next week. But it'll be interesting to see where everybody is at the Red Mile with these restrictor, you know, restrictions and uh, the things uh, these different motorcycles are doing this year, the different brands, it'll, it'll be interesting. We'll have a lot to talk about after the red mile, but for sure. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see the Yamahas and, and hell, I, I think, uh, from what Bronson said, they've been doing some good work on their Harley and, uh, they're making strides. So, you know, as much as we love to see, you know, Briar and Jared up front, I, I'd love to see team blue or even uh, team orange and black, uh, stick it up front. You know, it's just, you know, I want to see some other people that have done their homework, uh, get reap a little bit of the benefits too. But, um, Either yeah. way, I'm I'm uh, I'm excited. It, I mean, it's 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 a race, man. We've been <laughs> chomping at the bit for a month now, so I think we're all ready to go racing again. Yeah, make sure we shout out these sponsors once again for for making this show happen. Mission Foods, Bell Power Sports, Yamaha Motorsports, Indy Motorcycle, Moto America, Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, and Jerry Stinchfield, and Manscaped. If you want to save on Manscaped products, go to manscaped.com. Twenty percent off and free shipping worldwide. Tank slap 20 is the code punch it in and, and get some product, but that's a wrap on this show, man. It was such a good one. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Robbie, Bobby, appreciate you, my dude. Yeah. I'll, I'll see you a couple weeks, man. Thanks again. Sounds good. Sounds good, buddy. All right. Y'all be out. safe.